0: welcome to hunter and craft radio
1: hey everyone hope you all had a great holiday thanks for tuning into another episode of hunter and craft radio on this episode i'm joined by peter mantis and matthew castell founders of logos lp logos is a toronto-based private investment fund And these two guys have a tremendous amount of expertise in stock market investing and personal finance. This is probably one of our most useful episodes to date and is really helpful for anyone who's looking to kind of dip their toe into um, investing and improve their personal finances. Really hope you guys enjoy this episode. Here's Matt and Peter.
0: Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us.
1: Thank you. Awesome, so let's dive in with uh, just a little bit of background on Logos LP, if you guys want to tell us you know, how you guys got started working together and kind of what the fun's all about.
0: Sure, uh, so I've been trading for quite a long time, since a very young age, and uh, in fact I remember, we, we actually met in law school, I remember trading in the back of the classroom. Um, but it was actually really,
2: funny, I got, I, got to, I got to jump in here. It was actually funny because I didn't know him that well when we first started at law school, but I knew his reputation as the guy who's trading all the time during class, <laughs> right? And I was like, I got to meet this guy, right? yeah.
0: So uh, I had various experiences of different strategies that I played around with, but uh, we actually got the idea of, I developed this uh, value investing strategy around the time, I've been playing with him for two years, and around the time we started with the bar exam. And... Uh, we kind of played around with the strategy, made pretty good returns, and then during, after graduation, during articling, we decided to pull some resources together and really start a fun. He actually came up with the name. I was brushing my teeth one time. He's like, how about Logos? I just, <laughs> yeah, like,
2: I'd i been reading this book that, like, I absolutely love called The 48 Laws of Power. And you know, in, in that book, uh, there's really a lot of historical type, type of material in there, and there, a lot of it was around Greek philosophy and things like that, and I was like, Logos, and. Anyway, so that's kind of how the name came to be. And he was like, it was like that Eureka moment. I remember yeah. like, we were both like, yeah,
0: let's do this. We got to do it, right? So, so the name Logos, uh, it's from Da Vinci's time, means the universal man. Okay. So, and that really, it was a reflection of our multidisciplinary strategy for investing. Um,
2: and also kind of a, a, a snapshot of ourselves as guys yeah. with, you know, a lot of different, I guess, talents or rather a lot of different interests, right? Okay. And so that interdisciplinary uh, approach was is was very early on interwoven within the sort of brand identity, but also the strategy of Logos LP as an investment fund.
1: Gotcha. So tell me about, the, like, break that down for someone who doesn't really understand interdisciplinary investing and kind of what that means and, you know, what the fund's all about, and also kind of how that got started, right? So you guys had the idea, you know, you wanted to work together, kind of how, how did you get the fund off the ground?
0: Sure. Um, so we developed an investing methodology, Um And, I mean, we were working at law firms at the time, so a lot of, the fund creation is very legal, so we had a lot of documentation ready, we had an offer memorandum, we had everything we needed to get it really off the ground. So it was really about setting it up, and then having, you know, two like-minded individuals come together, deploying the methodology. Um, The methodology came from a lot of experience, and... At the at the crux of it, the investing methodology is really surround around value investing, but it it uh, inf- it has it's injected with data it references. Okay. So, um, for example, we have our traditional investment banking cash flow analysis. It's tweaked a little bit but there's also data points that we look for, so metrics or specific statistical pricing uh, references and charts that we look at to see where is a good entry point. So, and then, so there's that aspect and then there's also the qualitative aspect. So that's where the multidisciplinary approach comes in. We look at things like demographics or culture or uh, management their pedigree, things of that nature, and we put it all together to see what is a suitable investment. Mm-hmm. And
2: then another sort of element to that is also casting a wide net, right? So we don't limit ourselves to investing just in, you know, Canadian equities, let's say, or even just U.S. equities. You know, we look globally, we look, you know, industry-wide, you know, whether it's, uh, robotics, whether it's aerospace, whether it's agriculture, whatever it is, I mean, we're not closed for those types of things because we believe that value can be found in many different places. So that's sort of.
0: I, I would say a good way to describe it is data-driven, is data-driven investing, but it's also very much qualitative in nature. The data is really allows us to pinpoint at what price level we want to get into but there's also other qualitative factors above that because if you just look at a bit in a vacuum you're going to get in a value trap and the investment may go nowhere Uh, so that's sort of the idea in a nutshell
2: yeah and then there was also that process of um which was tough at first i mean at first we just started investing our own two you know just the two of us money and then we started you know people started to see what we were doing and and we started to generate you know some interest from from friends and family and they you know, originally would always ask us for investment advice. And then we sort of said, hey, look, we've got this model. Um, we've got this strategy. We're investing our own money. You know, would you be willing to, um, you know, be included in what we're doing here? And we had the great support from from close friends and family. And so, um, you know, uh,
1: that was a real big part of getting us off the ground, that initial support.
0: Gotcha. And how long ago was
1: that? Like, where does the fund sit today? How, how long have you guys been at this?
0: So we started uh, the, the actual fund uh, it's March, 2014. Okay. Um, and our, where we are as a fund. So since then we've tripled our assets and we're compounding around 20% a year. Gotcha. So that's kind of the performance and where the fund is today.
1: And in terms of the breakdown of kind of the, the assets that you guys have under management right now in terms of like sectors and stuff, like what's, what's going on with that? What are you guys you know, excited about right now? Some of the different things that, uh, you know, the sectors you're seeing that uh, that you're excited about?
0: Um, we don't like to think too much into sectors. We look okay. at the actual... Like Again, it's very data-driven, so mm-hmm. sometimes we may be more allocated to a specific sector or not, mm-hmm. but right now we look at specific metrics, like how much cash flow is generated from sales, free cash flow, what's the gross margin, you know, is there any technical or statistical boundaries that it's breaking in addition to those metrics? And so we have a wide range of names uh, at any point in time we may have more we may have as little as 8 names or as many as 15 or 20 it's really somewhat concentrated yeah just
2: to give you an idea i mean maybe you want to just give one name that we sure, like a lot sure so uh just as an example one
0: name i like a lot is uh grupo Aeroporto, i forgot the name del still Yeah, it's, it's a mex So Mexi- basically they run mexican airports okay uh, they run. They have a monopoly, basically, on the Cancun airport, and so this thing's a cash machine. So you, so you look at an investment like this, or you find a business like this, and you have specific data or metrics that that you get, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you do some more research, and you say, "Wow, this is a great business." And there's
2: macro dynamics that go into that too. Sure, I mean, yeah. like, what are, what is the outlook for Mexico? You know, yeah. what does the currency in picture look like? You know, what are what are the forces driving tourism to those areas? I mean, yeah. is this a sustainable you know situation? Um, you know what's what's management see in the future in their own words, right? Like these are the yeah. kinds of things. So that like what's we the history of
0: capital allocation or a demographic trends or cultural trends? Uh, where's the management coming from? So you have these qualitative factors and you have these data, and so that's an example of an investment that we pick that we like based on that strategy.
1: Gotcha, and that gets to the heart of I guess what value investing is, right? In terms of like, I mean, for someone who's not familiar with value investing, just as a as a topic. I um, mean, the way I understand it is kind of, you know, looking for kind of long-term growth, right? So how do you guys, how do you guys look at, you know, the lifespan of an investment and, you know, how long you would
0: be looking yeah, to... Yeah, maybe
2: you want to explain our view on value, what that sort of means, right?
0: Yeah. That's so, so fun- so fundamentally what we look for in a business are, are businesses that provide a positive return over net tangible assets, right. that's it. the fundamental, that's what The best types of businesses that we look are the ones that do that and grow. Mm-hmm. And if you find one of those that grow, you hold on to your life, yep. mm-hmm. and so our outlook whenever we allocate capital is generally to have a very, very long term outlook because yep. that's where the compounding really comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, that's really the type of investments that we look for. And how we and we always look for long-term. Like, if I if I own one share, it means, like, I own a piece of this business. I want to hold on to this business for a very long time. Yeah,
2: it's like it's like a funny, you know, conversation that we all we always have with the two of us when, when we find a, a business that we really like. You know, I, I always, you know, I'm, I'm around with Pete, and he's like, God, I just want to own this entire business, right? <laughs> and so we think of, you know, our small share, obviously, of these businesses that yeah. we own as... As truly owning that business, right? So, gotcha. yeah.
1: how do you guys split up like the work between? Obviously, you know you're both working kind of day jobs and stuff. Like, how are you kind of managing? Um, you know, coming up with business ideas or uh, coming investment to invest, ideas, in, yeah. yeah, investment ideas, and then you know, um, yeah, how, how are you kind of allocating your time to to figuring out what uh, to invest in?
0: Yeah, so all our free time is basically into this. Yeah. So because of our day jobs it's tough sometimes but it's it's time management prioritization yeah
2: it's it's a real passion i mean i, I was having this conversation with somebody recently and they were saying you know how do you, how do you do all these things how do you manage and i think you can condition the human mind can condition itself to really be successful at i believe you know a couple of things right and 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 to be able to always find time for the things that you value most on a personal level right and so We've been allocating a lot of time to this ever since we started, and even before that. You know, as Pete mentioned, he's been investing for a while. I've been investing for a while before that, and so we always were doing other things. But I mean, this this is something that we see as you know adding a lot of value not only to our investors but enriching our own lives as being able to learn about all these different businesses. It's it's yeah. so much fun. Yeah, right? it's not only something that we we enjoy, you know, on a making money level, but it's also just something so enjoyable to learn about these businesses and. And uh, it's all part of life's journey as well, that that sort of, you know, we learn in our, in our day jobs, but we also use different parts of our minds and, and actually use some elements in our day jobs to, to really help us with, with evaluating these businesses in a, in a more holistic way. And so for sure. it's working right now. The, the knock on wood, it's working, the, the, <laughs> the, the two things at once, but uh, it's, uh, it's definitely tough at times for sure to, to manage, the, you know, all the, the different things that, that we do that go into this.
1: I love it. So, I mean, that's something that obviously a huge part of this podcast is talking to guys like you that have very specific expertise in in an area that not a lot of people would necessarily be exposed to, right? And trying to have you share those lessons. So a big thing, a big topic we want to touch on today is, um, you know, for millennials, people are just starting to get some, you know, some savings and some capital and looking to take, make that jump into, you know, investing and putting that capital to work for them. Uh, what are some of the you know the main things that you guys have seen? Maybe some mistakes that people are making um, in you know their personal investments or finances. Uh, just some of the things that you guys have seen from from people you've talked to.
2: Well, I mean, t- I'd say number one. I mean, you were you were saying this. The yeah, morning, uh, I think morning, the biggest
0: what? mistake for millennials is uh, they uh, they don't under- understand what compounding interest means or opportunity costs. So for example, you know, I'm going to take a $10,000 flight trip to travel the world. Um, if you were to compound that capital at 12% a year for the next, you know, 50 years, you're talking about tens of millions of dollars. Even at 5% a year. Even 5%. We're talking and about, and the earlier yeah. the better. Right? Yeah. And you probably read articles of someone started at 18 or somebody started 30 and he doubled and he still can't catch up. Yeah. Um, so under- understanding that fundamentally is really really important and that's 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 how every wealthy person has built wealth through a vast amount of compounding and time is the friend of the the investor right so for example Warren Buffett's worth 60 billion people don't really really understand that he made 99.9% of his wealth after the age of 50 hmm. <laughs> right
2: because so, it's the snowball that really gets yeah. big 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 once you're down the line but that depends on how early you start right?
0: so so uh so for millennials that have this sort of mentality of, I want to live in my 20s, save my 30s, you know, retire at 60, uh, that's, that's, that's the biggest mistake I would so, say. So if I you think, want to build wealth. I
2: think too, which goes hand in hand with that, is just the number one mistake I see is just not having a plan. There's, I find that with most millennials that I talk to, and <laughs> I'm in that category, right, yeah. you know, they're often like, oh, Matt, like, how do I get started? What do I do? And this and that. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you spend? On a monthly basis, I mean, some people don't even know what they're spending on a monthly basis. You know, they're not actually keeping track of their fixed costs. You know, of their uh, you know free spend money. You know, on, on a on a monthly basis, mm-hmm. and and even just tra- tracking that. I would say that's the first place to start, right? Is yeah. knowing what you spend, knowing what your life costs, and um, you know, even just distinguishing between an asset and a liability. A lot of people I find yeah, actually really don't really understand that, and um, they don't identify short medium and long-term goals right I think that you know this guy's got a whiteboard in his room that he identifies that stuff on right you know I I keep a journal and I I, I, that's really sort of a tip that I would really uh, encourage people to to do is to really start just you know forget about making millions in the stock market just start even just keeping track with what you're you're spending and then setting up those short medium and long-term goals like we think of running our lives like a business. Like, what is the business of Peter Mantis, the business of, of Evan, and the business of, you know, Matthew Castell? Like, what are you doing to, to maximize your returns on all the things that you do? We're not just talking about money here, right? Yes. We're talking about any goals that you want to achieve, right? And so for us, at least, I think it's really helpful to think in terms of your life as a business, short, medium, long-term goals. Yes. Um, so anyway, that's that's one. Another one, too, is that a lot, a lot of millennials, I find... And I, I, this isn't just millennials, I think this is everybody. We're all kind of guilty of this at times, they react to all the noise there is out there, right? The sensationalist news media always putting out fear uh, or euphoria, right? Either way, right? It goes both ways. And, and so, what goes hand in hand with that is panic selling when everybody's afraid and panic buying when everyone's getting greedy and saying things like, you can't lose. You know, <laughs> this is a, a sure thing, right? And anytime you hear those types of things, Pause, reflect, and ask yourself, well, well, is this really what I want to be doing, right? I think that that's one that we're often uh, guilty of. And then another thing, too, uh, that I see, uh, which happens a lot, is sort of ignoring valuation, right? I think that a lot of you know, young investors say, oh, well, you know, this is a great business. I use the service, and you know, yep. Facebook's great. I love it, I use it all the time. Uh, you know, this company's going nowhere but up. I understand the business. I, 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 uh, you know, I've read a lot on it, I, I think that they're doing really cool things, but they're not aware of, of, of this reality that price is extremely important when choosing an investment, right? You know, as Warren Buffett said, um, you, know, you can buy a great business at too high a price, and that's gonna be far less interesting than buying a mediocre business at a low price, right? <laughs> These are all things to... to like, the quality of a business and the price are two things that go hand-in-hand hand when you invest that is so, so important, right? So I would say that understanding sort of the basics of valuation and, and, and being at least attuned to that yep. is something that a lot of millennials are not sort of aware. Another thing, too, that I find that millennials sort of make the mistake of and is sort of this, this belief that it, stuffing money under your mattress, this goes back to compounding, right? You gotta get in the game at some point, right? And, and so this, this idea of timing the market, like, oh, I'm gonna wait and see. Or, you know, the stock market, I don't know if that's if I'm comfortable with that, or or you know, I, I I don't know if this is the right time and things like that. I mean, you gotta think long-term when you invest, right? And so, you know, Warren Buffett, all these all these people will tell you that you know getting in at some point matters in quality businesses, right? Like there's gonna be ups and downs in the market. I think of it as like a graph, right? Mm-hmm. You have a graph here, you see a line going up towards the top of the graph, and the stock market's probably going to go from you know where you start and where you'll end. It'll be higher, but yeah, it's going to there's going to be blips and you know volatility, whatever. But at the end of the day, getting in somewhere and starting is really important, right? Like stuffing things under the mattress is not going to help you achieve your financial goals, you know, depending on what they are, right? Okay,
1: let's dig into that really quick too before we lose it. Is that getting started is the hardest part for so many people, right? Obviously, you guys are super savvy. You have you know, all of your accounts set up and you're, you know, you're very entrenched in this this financial world, right? But for some, and I know we want to talk about, you know, robo-advisors and those types of things, but let's let's lay that out right now so so people can have a little bit of a framework. What are the key things that I need to have in place? I, w- I want to start investing tomorrow. I've got, you know, five grand, I've got 15 grand uh, that I want to start investing, um, right? Give me, give me some of the, like the the accounts I know there's the TFSA sure. there's a brokerage account different things like that that I need to okay, have in place
0: so basics okay so yeah. um, the first thing I would say is uh, what's your goal yeah. so let's say for everyone it's retirement or wealth building yep yeah. so once you yeah. have that the probably the best one for the novice is a TFSA because you're gonna earn an extra two to three percent tax free yep yeah. uh, and that really adds up to the end. So if you have that or another, like a margin or cash account, or just a regular brokerage account, you go to a local bank, you can open it, they'll open it for you 20 minutes. Um, that's all you really need. And then you just transfer the money from your checking or savings to that yep. account. Um, so that's pretty much it. Uh, if you want to start investing, uh, when it comes to actually picking the names, what you yeah. want in your portfolio, that's going to, again, depend on your goals. If you're looking at building wealth, mm-hmm. you're looking at stocks. And, or equity. Yeah. that stocks equity. So that could be that could be a REIT that could be which is equity in, in real estate. Yeah. or it could be uh, in businesses. Mm-hmm. It could also be uh, in ETFs or, or fund, exchange traded funds like mutual funds but on an exchange, much more yep. liquid, less fees. Um, so for people who are not as savvy or just kind of want to set and forget it we always recommend indexing. Yep. Just put in a like Vanguard S&P or Vanguard total return or even the Vanguard consumer staples and let that ride. You're gonna mm-hmm. generate roughly eight to 10% a year plus dividends. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a more shorter term goal, like you'd like to buy a house in 10 years, 20 years, have a little bit of, mix of fixed income, I would recommend. I mean, obviously talk to your financial advisor, like yeah. get someone to talk to and, and have some advice there, but uh, it's really gonna depend on the goal that you look for.
2: And another thing, too, I mean, you got to be careful, right? Like, if you want to be stock picking, that's a very different conversation to just starting as an investor. You know, maybe you're a really busy guy. You know, I I know you, right? You're you're a busy guy. Your focus is on, you know, uh, growing in your career, you know, at at Post Beyond doing really well and, you know, excelling, right? Like, I don't know exactly what your specific goals are, but I'm sure it's somewhere centered around there. Maybe you don't have time, right? The young professional, like, I know lots of my friends who just are not going to have time? Like we write a lot of articles at WSLP, right? We write about stocks that we like. We we, we write about macro trends that that uh, we we think are interesting and should be paid attention to. But I mean, is it, you know, is it? I think it's probably too much to ask of you know your average person to want to wanna actually learn everything there is to know and become a stock picker. I mean, yeah. I Let's put I told it
0: this you. way: so Warren Buffett, when he dies, he wrote in his will that yeah. when I die, I want to uh, have my wealth. In- invested in the S&P 500. So in other words, what he's saying is that he does not trust the brain trust of his estate (laughs) to stock pick. (laughs) And and that's
2: and that's it, right? It's bang on because all the statistics show that being able to beat the market, because let's be clear here, to invest and pick stocks there's only one reason to do that and that is to be above average, right? And if you don't believe you're gonna be above average, and the statistics show that you're, you're probably not <laughs> going to be above average. The yeah. chances of being an above-average stock pick for any consistent period of time are extremely low, right? And so, having like knowing that, I would say that for most people, you know, young people wanting to get in the stock market for the first time, I think that indexing is really the right way to it's go about really, it, right? Really. And so, you know, if you have an interest in stock picking and learning about businesses. Maybe allocate a small portion of your, yep. you know, let's say of your five grand or whatever. Yep. Maybe you do four thousand in, in uh, indexes and you, you take that one thousand and you want to pick some stocks, right? Yeah, it's up to you, but I'm saying that, that I would probably say that that would be a more wise way to go about it rather than, you know, trying to do your own research or listening to tips and reading the news and, you know, talking to us or whatever it is and being like, okay, I'm just going to buy these stocks and allocate my entire nest egg to those things. Go ahead and do that if you really want to enjoy and, and you have a passion for investing or you really want to learn, I, yes. But yeah. I would say for the average person, that's probably not the case, and it's probably not the smart way to do things because most people are, who are going to try and pick stocks like that may just get discouraged in the next downturn in the market because it's coming, right? It's definitely going to come. The question sure. is, is you know, are you in the right mindset? Maybe may be already here. It may already be here. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> right.
0: And the other thing, too, is uh, make sure it's low cost because fees yep. eat up a lot. Like Vanguard is the lowest from my research. Yep. BlackRock's not bad, uh, and don't trade. Yep. Like if you just keep buying, keep buying, keep buying, because if you trade, there's taxes, and then there's a potential for loss, panic selling, etc. So, those are probably the three indexing, low cost, and no trading is probably the best way to do it. So yeah,
1: the the losses or the taxes is a big thing too, right? It's so like, that's what that's one thing a lot of people don't realize. I think is that if you're you know if you have a stock in it. It goes up, and you have to you have to pay a whole lot of tax okay, on you know. those earnings, right?
2: But if you're in a TFSA, which I think we both believe is a great vehicle, yeah. right? That's that's a nice one for for young people to start building wealth in, mm-hmm. and it has that flexibility that if you did, you know, have a friend come to you and say, "Look, Evan, I've got the next hot thing. You know, I've invented the flying car. <laughs> you know, you want to invest and." In- Maybe that's interesting to you. Maybe you want to invest. At least you can get out of your TFSA. With the RSPs, it becomes much more complicated to do those types of
1: things, right? Yeah. yeah. There's when, should really... be, when should I be starting an RSP? in your opinion?
0: <laughs> um, I don't really like RSPs, And uh, put it simply, you're converting a very, very favorable tax rate to a not-so-variable favorable tax rate okay. at a much later age. So just for that reason, I don't like that. Okay. And... Assuming If you really assume that you're going to live in the poverty line when you're 75, then maybe it's beneficial, but I don't like that uncertainty. <laughs> I don't really trust governments to have, give me a lower tax rate when I'm 75. So I personally like TFSA for like your start off middle class millennial. Like that is the best way to get into the markets. What if I have a
1: little bit of, um, you know, expertise in a specific area, say? So for me, one thing that I've gravitated to naturally is technology investing, right? Just because that's something I passion, I'm i passionate about. In general, I just, you know, I believe that you know, technology is the future. Mm-hmm. That's, no, that's, no, mm-hmm. that's no secret, right? But so, you know, maybe... Um, if I want to look at ETFs, maybe I'm looking at, you know, tech sector ETFs. Mm-hmm.
2: XLT is the tech one, I think. The yeah. Sure, like, would you guys,
1: like, recommend those types of things? Or if it's something that, you know, based on my personality and my goals and what I maybe have some expertise in, um, you know, based on the industry I work in, would you recommend, like, you know, weighting some of my portfolio towards that type of stuff? Or how yeah, you I mean, I think that? a
0: big part of investing is staying within your competence. Yeah. So if you have a fun amount of money or setting up tech and you want to, you want to invest in a tech ETF by all means. Yeah, um, we all remember the tech bubble, obviously. So it's important to be careful with certain business models. Yeah, um, but I mean, I think having a tech ETF and then uh, the rest in sort of the broader. Market mm-hmm. is certainly so
2: that so that could definitely a be a, a way to do it right with with that ETF approach. But another thing too, you know, going back to what I was mentioning, right? Let's take yep. the five thousand dollar example, right? Yep. You did the four thousand in uh, a diversified ETF equity portfolio, maybe some bonds, you know, depending on your risk tolerance. I mean, that's something you can definitely. Uh, on the BlackRock website, there's a really cool. Um, you know, maybe we can link it in the post. There's a really cool um, interactive grid which allows you to basically uh, answer a couple questions and then it'll kind of spit out uh, an ETF-based portfolio with their ETFs in it based on the way you answered those questions. I mean, very rough estimate, but it gives you an idea of what, you know, a portfolio that would be suited to your risk profile and your your long-term goals. The questions are pretty good. I've taken the test and I (laughs) I had a look at it just because I was curious. And uh, you know they they created a portfolio for me that actually made a lot of sense, and so I would definitely recommend that we can we can uh, link to that in the post because I think it's definitely whether you're going to invest or not, I think it's a good exercise just to get you an idea of what your portfolio would potentially look like on an ETF basis. Is that similar but
1: anyway, to what Simple would do?
2: Yeah, so Wealth Simple would definitely be doing. Uh, so the only difference is with that BlackRock thing I was mentioning, you would just go and buy those those yourself. ETFs. In that uh, they would e- they even give you the allocation like down yep. to like the, it should be thirty percent this, twenty percent that you just go do it yourself rather than paying a fee to Simple to not only, um, you know, put you in those things, but manage it for you kind of separately on their own platform, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think is, there's value there. I think that there's something to be said for uh, handing your money over to somebody else. Like some people are quick on the trigger, like we mentioned, right? They're going to buy in panic, they're going to sell in panic, and they're typically going to underperform, you know, in that kind of a scenario. And so... You know, handing it over to an organization like that that's probably going to perform very similarly to other index funds. I mean, it's all basically the same, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the level of service might differ between, you know, the different robo-advisors, but I think that um, the returns are probably going to be basically the same. I read an article on Seeking Alpha about this, that the guys have been tracking um, robo-advisor performance for a while, and it was pretty in line. They're all basically the same. And so, uh, no, I think that that's a great avenue to do it. But just jumping back to the original thing when you mentioned, yep. should I invest in a sector that I have an interest in? I, I encourage that a lot because I think that if you have a personal interest in something, like why wouldn't you, you know, further that passion in your investing ways, right? But again mitigate the risk by keeping it at a sliver of your portfolio that's manageable that you're willing to suffer losses in potentially right yeah if you're picking those stocks it's different if you just took the tech etf but you know we've had discussions before and i know you might want to i don't know buy a linkedin stock or facebook or you know these companies that you really think have a bright future ahead of them or that you've actually done research on because you you're fascinated by their business models we really encourage that because it's Put, like, set the return aside for a second. I think you're going to grow and learn a lot about business if you become um, uh, interested or rather, uh, you know, Make it a practice of looking at the quarterly reports of these businesses that you like. You're going to learn a lot, right? Yeah. Or you listen to the earnings transcripts. You listen to the CEO's talking about, uh, you know, how the quarter has gone, where the what direction the business is going. They answer analyst questions at these uh, these um, presentations, and it's it's fascinating, right? So if you want to go and do your research, which I would advise you to do when you buy stocks, it's yep. not just oh, LinkedIn's a great company, I'm going to buy it, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, do your research and yeah, definitely allocate a small amount if that if you're comfortable with that too, to those types of things because as you said you've got a passion in and maybe you do have an insight that, that other people don't have into that, right? And so to give you an example too of that, there are certain businesses that Pete and I have come across that may for some reason have caught our eye but then we do our our research and our diligence and we're like I don't really understand how these guys make money I'm not
0: comfortable investing that happens even for ETFs we I would even say be careful like for example Fidelity came out the other day they're slashing half their valuations in Snapchat and Uber because they invest it's a tech mutual fund ETF that invests in tech stuff yeah so they're slashing snapchat by a quarter or you uber airbnb slack because they're big investors in these funds yeah and so these funds are going to get big withdrawals they're going to get big losses so be careful when e- and that's broad <laughs> like you're yeah, talking yeah. about a huge sector of tech and so
2: to give you an idea too right i i actually own a couple of etfs in my personal uh, portfolio and you know and in, in some of my parents stuff as well that i help to Help them with with, with managing that. And I always, and Pete, I know he does the same thing, we always look very closely at the ETF. We go to the ETF website and we look at the exact holdings of the fund, what the concentration is in each holding, you know, uh, because they're not all created equally, right? Especially those sector, um, the ones that are supposed to mirror, like the healthcare sector ETFs and and whatnot. There's a lot of offerings out there and they're constantly (laughs) increasing, you know, on a daily basis. And so uh, I would definitely recommend uh, you know, obviously paying attention to the fee you're going to pay, but really having a look at what's in there.
1: So that brings up a question because I've actually, I've dabbled in this a little bit. My dad was in finance and so I've kind of been fortunate to see some of, you know, some of his methodology and practices. And, you know, he, we kind of co-manage, um, some of, uh, some of our family's wealth. And one thing that's, I've learned a lot from is my biggest mistakes, right? Like you know, I've seen yeah. uh, invested and also successes invested in Apple early, but like recently invested in uh, in the Score, right? And for example, to walk you through that Score Mobile, I, the sco- app, yeah, yeah, Score Mobile, and I pretty much said, hey, you know, I want to buy this stock, uh, and you know, obviously, my dad comes back with a whole bunch of questions on, okay, you know, a couple of red flags, shares, you know, tons of shares outstanding, all this type of stuff, and I'm just like, you know, no, I, I mean at a high level I want to buy this stock because you know I believe in the product right but that's um I've had a couple of mistakes like that and also startup investing where it's you know I really believe in the product but I haven't you know done that research that I needed to actually um, you know feel confident that and and also thought and startup
2: investing is very different very than different public but, market oh, investing but, we can chat about that but let's
1: talk about some of the maybe a couple like key mistakes that you guys have made or things that have stood out where it's uh, you know Something you screwed up on, yeah. when you lost and, money. Yeah, and you days. know, we,
2: we've definitely made some mistakes. We've yeah. had some wins, made some mistakes. I mean, that's the ongoing. Warren Buffett would say, say that he's publicly said that he's made mistakes. on. The, like Tesco was yeah. a big mistake that he publicly admitted was, you know, something that he invested in that was just improperly done, right? Yeah, so.
0: Yeah, like every. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't make mistakes, it's not human. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, some of the mistakes we've made were in terms of. The valuation was good. The reports were the you know annual reports were good. The business looked good. Everything looked good. We we took a shot. Fundamentals changed. Okay. Something happened. Uh, there was a change in the business model. There was a change in um, the specific uh, implementation of their strategy, and so you see a decline. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you have, and also. What may be classified as a mistake is really when you sell. So sometimes okay. you may be down. Yep. Um like, like like I'll bring up Buffett, he's down like fifteen, sixteen percent on IBM. Is that a mistake? I don't know. Maybe it's maybe pay off in the long run. Yeah. So if you panic sell, certainly that can really amplify your mistakes. For sure. But uh, there's been investments where certainly we've taken a lot of hit, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh it's not possible to invest and not make a mistake. Yep. You know, there's been Warren Buffett lost $900 million on a shoe business he bought. Steven Schwarzman <laughs> yeah. had, had owed
2: money. Happens, but but the key, the absolute key, and, and Howard Marks, one of our favorite investors, said that if you are able to, as an investor, have more winners than you have losers, you're going to do well, right? And so that's really what we strive to do, you know. And another, another thing, another sort of mistake, I would say, or rather a, a, an ongoing process of learning that we have in our own fund is that we definitely subscribe to this buy-and-hold mentality, right? Yeah. You know, we're long-term investors, buy-and-hold, but you got to be careful with that because within that that buy-and-hold mentality, right, uh, there are times to sell a position, right? And we've been in this situation where we, we got into a company that we, you know, for our own reasons, believe really would be a great long-term investment. But, you know, there's, there's factors that can come to, you know, your attention that c- should cause you to definitely reevaluate and potentially sell. I mean, these are things like new competition, right, yep. entering into the picture, so cost pressures, you know, slowing growth, management change, excessive valuation, even change in industry regulation, right? Yep, for sure. Um, you know,
0: even I, I think for us though the biggest mistake is because we do a lot of homework, we read a lot, yeah. so the, the, really understand, like, you're putting your entire soul into researching something. So, for yeah. example, you research the score, right. like, you, you yeah. put your, you're like, this is, this is a good investment, and then something happens, and it, and it doesn't come to fruition, and you're like, oh my goodness, you have to all my work is You are to divorce kind
2: of, uh, the, the mental, emotional investment that you've put into something, and I think that, yeah, right, on, on the, uh, as time goes by, and you're seeing these things change, right, like, you know, the, the factors that I mentioned,
0: you and I'm sure you have to like,
2: really divorce yourself from it to a certain yeah, extent. Right? And
0: I'm sure when you research a school, for example, you realize the competition, you realize all the you know, environmental regulations or whatever it is, but something just maybe didn't click over a quarter or over yep. a specific strategy implementation. And so sometimes that can hurt your position much faster. And what you do at that point is really going to make us uh, really create your profile as an investor. So,
1: gotcha. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, if I want to take that next step, I want to go from, you know, okay, I have maybe, uh, you know, an ETF portfolio kind of just getting started. Maybe I want to take that next step. What are some of the best you know, resources that you would point someone to? You mentioned like the the BlackRock site and, and you know, some, some books, different things like that that you would want to... If I want to start doing a little bit more research and say if I'm allocating 10% of my portfolio to doing some stock picking and stuff, what's some of the best ways for me to learn, um, you know, how to evaluate a company, right? Like depending on sure. some, of the, some of the core factors that you guys really care about, um, how do I kind of get started?
0: Sure. Um, I mean, a lot of people read your... Well-known books like *Intelligent Investor* or Peter Lynch's *How to One Up Wall Street*. All those ones. I think one of my favorite books to read is *Outliers* or rather *Outsiders*. Okay. Uh, it profiles exceptional CEO. Who's the author on that again? Okay. Who the author was. Outsider. Okay, well,
2: Outsiders. Okay. Outsiders. Yeah.
0: Well, it's uh, so it really shows how w- what are what is the characteristics of an exceptional CEO. Okay. So how do they create value? Yep. So that you, that you from there you'll get to understand the qualitative factors in creating. What is what is a good CEO? What is a good manager? What is what is value creation? It makes for a more interesting read, too, than yep. just going through financial. Yeah. <laughs> and so you'll see, for example, there's a company called Teledyne, and they've been compounding at like 30% a year for like 60 years, something ridiculous. It wow. makes Jack Welsh look like a cockroach <laughs> at, at GE. And so they, they profile a lot of these CEOs, and uh, it really gives you uh, – a glimpse of what are the characteristics of good quality management for example instead of looking at earnings these ceos with the cash flow okay a lot of the ceos people think is charismatic all these guys are really quiet really thoughtful so these are the kind of things that also i think is a good starting point to say okay what's a quality managed company yes so i think that's the first thing for sure um another book we like is uh the most important thing by Howard Marks.
2: It's, that's my all-time favorite investment Changed for my their life. Changed my life. Like not just I think that's a good Bible. Bible. Not just
0: for investing. I think for life. It's, it's, yeah, it's for life. We, that we is.
2: actually get together before we do conferences or write articles or anything like that, or even have chats with people you know of, of importance, and we're always like, okay, well, let's go back to the Bible. we will we'll just review. <laughs> let's go <laughs> back. <to the> Bible. <laughs> it's really the Bible, just for life. It's just a like, great. It's book. Just
0: incredible. Uh, and then if if you really want to dive down in valuations, um, any. Accounting textbook. I think accounting is the language of business. Uh, Equity valuation by Jan V. Big is really good. I like that one. Um, uh, Corporate uh, bonds and by Murad Shujeri is really good. It gives you a glimpse of you know, how to analyze cash flows and different structures of investments. Um, and there's
2: there's one book that I really liked that's less sort of involved than than some of the ones that we've mentioned. I mean, uh, the most important thing by Howard Marks is, is not a it's not a very complicated in terms of like terminology and things like that, but it's, it's a heavy book. Like You'll get through it and you'll really feel like you've learned a lot because it explains a lot about just different aspects of them, like risk. He talks a lot about risk. Yeah. Risk as being like something that a lot of investors don't probably understand, so it's great to, to read it for just even just that. But one book that I found really interesting when I was early on wanting to learn more about Warren Buffett and his investment, philosoph- investment philosophies was Buffetology. By uh, Wendy Buffett, I think wrote that, and uh, really a great book that goes through in in pretty simple um, terms how you can invest like Warren Buffett, so to speak, right? But it's I found it really useful. So that was one that was uh, less dense and, and and difficult to understand for the for the person that may not have a background in economics or finance or maybe has not even you know looked at a balance sheet or an income statement or anything like that before, right? So that was kind of a good one to give you the basics.
1: So let's talk a little bit about uh, startup investing to close that out, because I know that's something you've looked at a lot. I'm not sure how much you've done, Pete, but um, it's been very interesting, even, you know, in our discussions, how you're thinking about startup investing and, you know, analyzing a lot of different opportunities all the time, right? So maybe just, you know, uh, share some of your best, Thoughts or ideas on how to go about um, evaluating, you know, potential startup investment? Because I know that's something that, especially in the next, you know, five to ten years, a lot of our listeners, people are going to be coming out of the woodwork with different ideas. Their friends starting companies, that type of thing, and um, maybe just, you know, some thoughts you guys have on that.
0: Sure. Well, uh, so there's over forty thousand stocks on the North American stock market. Yeah. So at any particular time. Uh, and any one of us can go and filter these 40,000 stocks. And these are 40,000 companies ranging from startups, and I mean like barebone startups yep. to, you know, your apples. Yep. Um, so you're probably going to find many private investments, the, the, the types of concepts or products in that span of 40,000. You may not find all of them, obviously, like a Slack or maybe you're an Uber. But generally speaking, you will probably find, or at the very least, an OTC market. So um, I think the most important thing to really, in private investment is what are the terms of the deal? Mm-hmm. Because it's not your regular traditional public investment. There's liquidity, is, is a, a, there's a much more premium for liquidity. Yep. Um, and, you know, if you look at... I'll take Warren Buffett again. He's got over hundred businesses, half is private, half is public. And if I were to ask you, what's his best performing portfolio? People myself, It's private, right? He bought him at a discount. Actually, the best performing portfolio is the public, mm-hmm. which is interesting, because you know, a lot of people think that private investing, people make a lot of money out of the startup stuff. Yep. But I think understanding the terms of the deal is probably the most important thing rather than the product or the concept. Because when we invest, or when we look at a private investment, it's not necessarily what's the upside, it's what's the risk? What's the downside? What is the terms? What are the terms? Um, what, who's involved in the background? Who's the management structure? What are the contracts? What are the covenants in this business? These are the most important things. Look
2: at. Another thing too that, that I definitely look at a lot, I know Pete does too, is, um, you know, on that topic of who's who's management. I For me, I'll be honest with you, I like to see a track record. I think that's really important. Like. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a reason why statistics show that successful companies typically have founders that are th- around 39 years old. That's that's the average age of the most um, successful uh, startups that have raised the most money.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, I think that's interesting. I mean, if you look also too at the the failure rates, I mean, it's something like 90% of, of you know, high growth startups fail, right? And I don't know, you can argue about, argue about those numbers, whatever, whatever whether they're Perfectly accurate or not. The fact of the matter is, it's extremely difficult to um, bring a new product to market and generate, you know, massive scale, which is what you know a company should do in the tech sphere, right? Yeah. And so another issue too that I've been finding, because I've been looking at a lot of deals, you know, in Toronto and whatnot of startups and things like that, you know, I've had some conversations with some people that I really respect a lot in the uh, investing field, and they're kind of like some of the questions they ask. I find it really interesting. They they are often very focused on who else is looking at that deal, right? So it's like, oh well, who else have you talked to when you when you you know you're raising money? There's something that they're you know their particular you know uh, amount of money that they want to raise, and so obviously you know there's a lot of questions that go with that. But one question that a particular person that I you know work with sometimes. Is, is largely, the, who else is looking at this? How much interest have you had? Like, w- why are you not able to fill this investment, right? Because there's something fundamental that I'm realizing is that chances are, if you truly have a revolutionary idea and you're really scaling with any type of significance in a market that's potentially massive, somebody already knows about you. Yeah. For sure. The big boys are definitely, you're, on, you're definitely on their radar, right? And, and chances are, you know, they're already there. Right, and I find with you know guys like myself who, you know are, you know very sort of small in the investment game and especially in the startup game, right? Like we're 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 a public fund, right? We're not yeah. really a startup fund. That's not it's not our thing. It's not yeah. really we. It, it, these types of investments don't check the boxes for us. Yeah. But um, we definitely like looking at them because I find it fascinating. I love talking to people with new ideas and things like that. But what I'm realizing is that you know. Not only is it extremely hard to make money, 90% failure rate, you know, old founders have a lot of experience, but chances are if your idea is good, the money is already in the, in the company. Like it's just access is everything yep. in the startup game, yeah, right? Is. Access is everything. And so chances are, you know, the guys that I've seen making real money in angel investing or even, you know, early seed, you know, investing and, and you know, even series A and things like that, they're people who have incredible networks, right? Like, unbelievable networks. It's the old boys club. You know, it's it's access. Yep. And so, for us, all of these factors, you know, taken into what Pete said about what are the terms, we're not really going to see a lot of interesting stuff, you know, yeah. in terms of the networks that we have and things like that. So, um, you know, one particular company that I invested in, a SaaS company, you know, is doing quite well, but I mean, that's just, you know, I had a relationship, yep. you know, was, there was a, there was an access element to it, right, and so, you know, just like there's luck in uh, creating an incredibly successful startup, right, right place at the right time, there are certain, you know, factors of luck, you talk to a lot of founders and they will admit that there's been a certain amount of luck in it, I think that that goes for successful startup investing to a certain extent as well, it does play into it, I think, so that's sort of
0: <laughs> yeah, anyway. our... So, uh- like, we work in tech as well in our kind of main roles. And the company I'm at, we have full-time analysts uh, researching startups in our in company. Full-time. landscape. Yeah. And they write reports. Yeah. And so uh, if we they have a pretty good pulse on what the m- the market is. Mm-hmm. And this is not a massive, not a Microsoft or anything, but uh, it's pretty well known what the landscape is for a lot of the startups. And again, access to everything. Like If you're Mark Andreessen, you're gonna get access to yeah. everything. If you're gonna get slack over here, you know. Yeah. And then, so, uh, we just haven't had the deals that are just interesting. We've had a one, maybe, or two deals that have been- That
2: have been like, people doing cool stuff, but we just didn't think the terms were right, yeah. or that it just didn't tick the boxes for us, you know, and that's- that's really the, the fundamental aspect of it. But I want to say one thing about you know sort of the future and and some an interesting observation that I've been making in the startup scene, and this is particular to the f- the fashion uh, side of things. So, um, you know, I was I was reading this really cool article about um, what kind of startups are going to happen in in the fashion arena. Like, are, is there going to be another Under Armour? Will there be another Nike? Will there be another Lululemon? Will there be another, um, what's another fa- big fashion man? Burberry, or whatever it is, right? And, yep. and the point that was being made was that probably not, but that's okay. And so I want to take that point and bring it out to a larger point that I want to make about what I'm seeing in the startup ecosystem is that I think that everyone's so focused right now on making the next Uber, right? The, the raising you know, billions of dollars and, and, you know, capturing massive markets. And, you know, I think that we're probably gonna move actually more towards a, a, a world where you're gonna see increasingly uh, niche-focused companies that will get to maybe 20 million in revenue, 30 million in revenue, but basically plateau at that point because it's gonna be too hard for them to move into more broad markets. They're gonna become, it's gonna be this sort of patchwork quilt of, of, of founders and, and companies that are able to really execute well in, in one vertical, really uh, serve one customer base extremely well, and, and they'll just stay there, and that's okay. And, and I think that that's actually kind of an interesting development, right? I think that that's a move away, and that's why you're seeing a lot of um, very large businesses very worried about this, because they're saying, well, we can't actually be good in all these verticals, so now you're seeing all these siloed companies doing extremely well in little kind of niche verticals like that that are never going to be those 20 billion valuations or whatever but that's that's actually okay and, and I kind of like that world because you're going to get people really um, having bespoke on demand stuff that's going to re- resonate with them and identify with them and I think yeah. on, on a micro scale you kind of see that with um, all of these like Clothing. Every everybody and their dog is launching their own clothing brand, right? But like, power to them because maybe they, you know, serve a a small group of people in their local community to a to a you know a, a superior degree than your Procter Gamble's or your what no I, I a clothing company your Nikes or whatever it is right the yeah. large clothing companies, uh, and I think that that's a different world and it's not necessarily an unwelcome development. Yeah, I think it's just anyway, <laughs> a point that I've I sort think, of been I think ninety
0: nine percent of VC investing or startup investing is really about how do I get to the next round? So I want uh, you know, a 12% interest on my cumulative preferreds and a 6X liquidation value for round B. The 1% is going to be the Facebooks, Ubers, going public and those are going to be in charge by the, the elite funds, like mm-hmm. Aragon Horowitz. Uh, you're not going to see many smaller VC startup investments go on a public exchange unless it's like a Facebook because I just think
2: that they're going to top out like I said right and they're going to really hit a vertical real nice and then it's just going to be like we can't really scale beyond that because we're not a a platform that everyone can be on and that's and that's okay right I think it's okay but for a lot of people it's going to cause a lot of pain I think over the next few years especially as um, credit markets are going to start to tighten we probably think you know over the next well we'll know on Wednesday if the Federal Reserve (laughs) raises rates Mm -hmm. but uh, from what we've been hearing, at least, and some um, uh, reports that we've been reading, there's been a lot of um, murmuring in the in the startup community that money is going to get tighter, and it's going to be survival of the fittest to a large extent, where people are just not going to be able to scale.
0: Well, square like they the, want. Right? They, uh, their IPO is lower than the round seat.
2: Right, and it's it's a down round that's as what now road. what's going to be happening, and and so
0: that's square. And that's, that's just weird, fair. right?
2: And like, so, you know, let everywhere. alone a lot of companies that, you know, haven't even gotten close to the scale that these guys have and whatnot. So, I don't know. I mean, I think that we're definitely moving into a, a bit of a, a different uh, credit environment. I think VCs and, and the money holders are going to have more power moving forward as opposed to a lot of these big startups really held the chips in their hands over the last few years, being able to raise these ludicrous, I think, valuations in a lot of instances. Um where now? Where do you go? They're not going to be bought a lot of these companies by anybody. They can't do an IPO because there's not really much interest for them. Because you know, your sophisticated investors are saying, "I, I don't know where the growth is going to come from." Right? It's, yep. it's not for me. So, and then a lot of them don't even make money. We haven't even talked about that either, right? There's no profit. It's yeah. Just so
0: then you're just looking at terms of cash
2: burn. You know, increasing quarter over quarter, customer acquisition co- cost increasing quarter over quarter. Like, where do you go?
1: But, so you mentioned, like, you, I see you got this website up with, you know, Federal Reserve stuff and all, these, like, h- how do you guys get um, all of your different information? So I know you mentioned Seeking Alpha in a couple places, like, for someone who's looking to get a little bit more informed, right, obviously there's, you know, they can create their account, set up their, you know, TFSA and all that type of stuff. If I want to get a little bit more informed, what are some of the best... Um, you know sites or different publications so, I subscribe to and then also where can we find that's that's a
2: logos. that's a great question I was gonna say like Pete why don't you say your routine what's you know, your information sure. routine okay. right so, I'll, do so one.
0: I'll tell you how I find stocks yeah. and then maybe you know, so what right. I do is because I, I start off with data points so I use screeners and I run them dozen times let's say okay. multiple times Finviz is the site. Finviz is a good one. That's a good public one. Even Google is not bad. Okay. Uh, Google Finance. Google Finance screeners. And then I put a lot of these data metrics, and then I do them over and over and over again. I change it up and I tweak it up, and I have these multiple models going in at once. And then okay. And then I see what are the what are the, of the twelve times, twenty times, hundred times that I've done this. What are the what is the one or two, three, four, five, ten names that have come up always. Nice. And so then I take that list and then I do more analysis. I cool. do like my sort of cash flow analysis and then read more into the management every the transcripts everything. And of that 10 or 20, it comes down to three to five. Cool. So that's my process, yep. but that com- but my process comes from years of learning and experience for a lot of, for the, for the retail investor, uh, it, just you to you be informed be though, right. In
2: terms of like where you get your information on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, so yeah. it's it's really it's it's it, I'm I'm hunting at a flea market. Yeah, right? I got models going on, and then I look for what I need to look for. And sometimes there's a lot of trash. I'm looking for the Jackson Pollock at the flea market. Yep. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's hard. Sometimes I don't find anything. Like I, lately, I can't find anything. Yeah. So or like a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't find anything. For a lot of people, if that's a bit too, uh, if they're just starting out, and it's a bit too deep. Yeah. Uh, um, certain sites seeking alpha is okay. You got to be careful with seeking alpha because it's. Crowdsourced, and there's a lot of noise, and there are a lot of bears. Well, if they let this guy ride, I mean, it's, <laughs> <like> it's <yeah. laughs> so, uh, you, you just got to get a diverse amount of information, yeah. Uh, you know, the street or Motley Fool, like these are good sites, but yeah. you got to do your own homework. I cannot, I can't say go to see, I'm going to find gems, but
2: but but I think but also what you're sort of asking too is, you know, what what is my information routine on a daily basis? Like for, for the people listening, I would say that sign up to the quartz daily brief. Okay. okay, maybe we can put a link in there to yep. that. I find that great on a daily basis. I have stories that are not only on cultural pop cultural topics, but I have my the, the headlines in business, you know, like merger announced between Anweiser Bush and, and Miller and yep. whatever, right? Like uh, uh, and then very interesting articles like like thought provoking articles. So I'd say Quartz Daily Brief is one I check out. And also, I, I, I uh, subscribe to the Seeking Alpha Morning Wall Street Morning, it's called, or the Morning Coffee, Wall Street Morning Coffee or something like that. Yes. It's a daily thing that comes in your inbox. It gives you sort of a little, and, and this isn't crowdsourced, right? This is like Seeking Alpha putting news. out information. It's news, just news. Yeah. So it's like, this merger happened. These guys are in talks to do this. This share dropped this price because of, you know, but I poor think, earnings. I think,
0: I think you're well-informed. Investor, I think that's for yeah, for so stepping back. So, the average person, I chords to totally fine, but like I sure. do, I use
2: a seeking alpha one every morning. I think that that's useful, even if you didn't look at all the time. I think
0: that the story we're trying to say here is you're gonna have to do your homework, yeah, you're gonna have to read. We read a lot for sure, and
2: then yeah, the one, the one other thing that I would highly recommend subscribing to. Is our uh, weekly uh, Logos <laughs> LP uh, newsletter that we're gonna start putting out. Uh, usually, we what we were doing before is just publishing our articles to our subscribers as we publish them, and we found uh, after talking to our subscribers that that's really not the best way. What what they sort of were saying, and and you know, we really appreciate the feedback is that they just want uh, a weekly, you know, maybe a Saturday morning in their inbox with a couple bullet points. Uh, as two interesting articles that we've read during that week, maybe a podcast, maybe a YouTube video, and then uh, maybe a you know an article or two that we happen to write that week. So we're gonna put that out probably in the new year. And so uh, you know, subscribe away. That'd be great. And hopefully you'll have some interesting points in there from, from us.
1: For sure. So the website is
2: www.logoslp.com, and uh, you can uh, see our fund at that website, but uh, more importantly, if you click on the blog tab, uh, you can have access to information that, that we write and then subscribe to the newsletter that, as we mentioned, will be coming out in the new year.
1: a wrap on another episode of hunter and craft radio hope you guys enjoyed this episode i thought it was really valuable to dive into a slightly different topic than we normally talk about uh, you know personal finance and investing something that's applicable to everyone and matt and peter definitely have a lot of amazing expertise so hope you guys took something out of that make sure to check out the show notes a lot of great links to different books and publications that you can check out And make sure to keep up with Logos. LogosLP.com is their website. And check them out on Twitter at LogosLP. And, of course, make sure to keep in touch with Hunter and Craft. Hunter and Craft on Twitter and Facebook. And HunterandCraft.com is our website. Uh, Please sign up to our newsletter. We have a lot of great stuff coming in 2016. And don't want you to miss out. Until next time, cheers, guys.